Blog Talk Radio. Well, here we go, ladies and gentlemen, across the board. We are excited. We just finished the Sports Talk Saturdays. Bruce Kessinger was on that one with his guest, Mark Heffernan. Now we get into standing above the crowd with James Donaldson, live from Seattle, Washington. Yours truly, Mark Mancini, producing this, 347-205-9631. You can catch the archive version on blogtalkradio.com forward slash Mancini Sports podcast platforms wherever you subscribe to powered now by mancini media so more of him less of me let me lay the red carpet down put the podium in its place hand off the mic first of all james how are you second of all how can people get a hold of you third of all another great guest you bring in on your show my friend hey thanks so much mark it is uh a beautiful day out here in seattle you know when you get blue skies out here, there's nothing like it anywhere in the world. So, such a gorgeous day. Uh, yeah, I'm James Donaldson. This is Standing Above the Crowd with James Donaldson. And we are bringing you another great guest today. And my focus really is bringing on folks who are, you know, positive and inspiring, not only in their athletic careers, but their their life after the game, which I think is even more important. And so... Uh, we are going to introduce a great guest in just a second. People, if you want to get a hold of me, uh, please feel free to email me anytime at jamesd at standingabovethecrowd.com. Uh, you know, send comments about how you think the show's going. Send suggestions for upcoming guests uh, this week because it's Super Bowl weekend and Super Bowl Sunday tomorrow. I wanted to make sure we had an NFL player on board who has some real-life experience of going to Super Bowl and being part of that whole build-up of the week of what that's all about and to really just give some great insight to a wonderful person. Now, this, this guest we have today, I've known him as a, as a person uh, much better than I knew him as an athlete, uh, but I look at his list of accomplishments in the athletic world and I think I had to print out a couple pages here. He's got so many great things going on. Uh, this is my friend and my colleague from my alma mater, our alma mater, Washington State University, uh, Mr. Ruben Mays. Ruben, how are you today? Oh, James, I'm doing great. I'm also enjoying the blue sky here in the in the Northwest, and yeah, it's yeah. beautiful. But I'm doing I'm doing really well. Thank you. There's nothing like it, I tell you. When those those blue skies come out in the northwest, I don't care where else you are, this is the place to be. Uh, Ruben, I wanted to just kind of talk a little bit, since this is Super Bowl Sunday, uh, you mentioned that you, you didn't play in the Super Bowl, but you've been to a great Super Bowl between the Indianapolis Colts and the New Orleans Saints. I'm sure you had the whole sweet treatment and everything else that goes along with that and the buildup of the whole week. Tell us what that experience was all about and what people can look forward to in tomorrow's game against the Cincinnati Bengals and the Los Angeles Rams. Absolutely. Yeah, I was really fortunate to be a guest of Visa International for the 2010 Super Bowl, as you mentioned, between the Saints and the Indianapolis Colts, and I was, I was also fortunate to take my youngest son, Kellen, uh, who was mm. at, at the time 10 years old, in, in Miami. So we were there with a group of uh, pro athletes, uh, Steve Young and Jerry Rice, probably about five of us, 
and then some uh, delegates from South America. So we were a group. Uh, we did a bunch of things together uh, in terms of pre-Super Bowl parties and uh, have some uh, guests at some uh, uh, a couple of estates, uh, some island estates, and, uh, of course, the, the all the game festivities. Quite an experience. Uh, uh, the uh, just having been with the Saints, you know, my first five years, and uh, of course I was rooting for them, uh, and being a part of that experience was fantastic. And then of yeah. course a great game, and the Saints' uh, uh, first uh, Super Bowl win, uh, and able to kind of be through the whole thing. We had really great seats, and um, again, uh, really unique because it was in Miami uh, in February. Uh, in Washington State, lots of snow, so we were out there swimming <laughs> out in the out in the ocean, and and uh, I actually had lost. This is a funny story. I was out swimming with Kellen. The water was warm, it was beautiful, and and my my wedding ring slipped off my finger, and so called my wife Marie, and we're been married for 34 years, and at the time she said, "Oh, sweetheart, you know I'm out here swimming, and I my my ring fell off." She says well, you better go right now and go buy a new one. So <laughs> I went to a, a pawn shop uh, about four, three blocks away and bought this wedding ring uh, for like $120, and that's the one I wear today. So that was one of our unique experiences uh, being at the Super Bowl. <laughs> that is funny. Wow, that's funny. Uh, who, who's your pick for tomorrow? Who is your pick? You know, as most people are, their head is with the Rams, but the heart is with the Bengals. I really mm-hmm. think the Bengals will will make it a good game. I think it's going to be close. I think it's going to be about three points. I think the Bengals can do it. But, of course, uh, with Aaron Donald and that incredible defensive, defense and defensive line, as most people know, the defense typically wins these type of a game, this type of a game. And they're so powerful. If they start hitting – that you know, Joe. Uh, early in the game, it could be a, a foregone conclusion that Rams win. But I'm pulling for the ba- the, the bagels for sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I I'm kind of feeling the same way. I, I think the Rams are built to win the Super Bowl this year. They invested heavily mm-hmm. in those great players. Uh, they put it all the chips on the table to go for it this year. So, I think they have a better balance of offense and defense and special teams. But hey. The Bengals have a great offense. They're exciting to watch, and we will see exactly what happens. That's why, as, as we say in sport, that's why we play the game. Isn't that right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it comes down to lots of things. Of course, you have the talent. There's also just the newness, and neither of those of these teams have played in a Super Bowl in a long time. So you have yeah. that factor. Uh, who gets out early and, you know, makes a difference, uh, makes a big play. Uh, the weather, if it's really hot, it's supposed to be pretty warm uh, on Sunday. So, yeah, it's, and that's why it's fun to watch a live event like this. I mean, you know more than I do at that level, professional level, uh, anything can happen. Yes, exactly. Let, let's go over your uh... – your, some of your statistics, um, I've got line after line item after line item on this sheet of paper I'm looking at. Uh, back at Washington State, you were the two-time Pac-10 Offensive Player of the Year, a two-time consensus All-American football. Uh, 1984, you set the NCAA single-game rushing record, which still stands at 357 yards in one game. 
a two-game rushing record of 573 yards. What an amazing year you had that year. And you came in 10th in the Heisman voting for 1984 as well. Uh, You went on to the NFL, to the New Orleans Saints after that. Uh, How long did your NFL career last? And was the Saints the only team you played with? And uh, how are you holding up after all the pounding that a running back takes uh, during the (laughs) Yeah. Well, I played – five years with the Saints and so fortunate and then finished my career uh, playing two years with the Seattle Seahawks. So seven years total. Uh, Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, my experience starting with the Saints, uh, you know, I was drafted in the third, early in the third round and I was supposed to go on the first round and they had some questions about my ability to play in a pro style offense. And what does that mean at the Washington uh, WSU? Uh, we had what's called an option offense where uh, the, the uh, Mark Rippon or Cleet Casper, they would pitch the ball out, where in a pro style, back when I played, it was out of an eye formation. And then there were some passes, uh, you know, when you ran some plays, uh, did some outs and different things, and, or just kind of leaked out. So mm-hmm. that kind of got around early in the draft, and I fell to the third round, and I was actually rated probably in the top uh, five running backs in the NFL uh, in, in, the, in college, maybe a little higher than that uh, during the draft. So I was actually a little disappointed. I was, I thought I was going to go in the first round. I visited some pro uh, teams uh, prior to the draft, and uh, a lot of folks were telling me we're going to draft you, and it just didn't happen. So actually right before I got drafted, I uh, Daryl Clack, and who was a great player, he got drafted ahead of me, and he, I was ahead of him in the, in the, the ratings. And I said, that's it. I'm not going to play football. I'm going to go to law school and be a lawyer. <laughs> and I remember that vividly. And right after that, I got a phone call from the New Orleans Saints, and I said, oh, I'm so excited. I didn't even actually know where New Orleans, New Orleans was uh, in yeah. Louisiana. And so I looked up on a map. But uh, that began me thinking the same kind of mindset I've always had. It's like, you know, I'm going to go down there and work my butt off and do whatever it takes to help the team win and, and just do my very, very best. And so – yeah, as far as uh, health-wise, I was really fortunate. I did have some injuries. My second year, I had a knee injury in a, a playoff game against Minnesota. I had some uh, some chronic uh, Achilles problems early in my career uh, that lingered throughout my career, and I think it was more of, of a genetic thing that I had uh, from my mom. She had some uh, issues with her, her, her Achilles tendons. and so. Um, but I came out really healthy. Uh, only, you know, like falling on my shoulder skiing or um, surfing and hurting my knee a little bit uh, post-career, but relatively healthy with swimming and yoga and different things and trying to keep my weight, you know, where it needs to be. Yeah, and you look great. I mean, I see you every now and then. Uh, You know, you're nice and trim. You're into yoga, healthy eating, swimming. Uh, you're doing all the right things to really stay healthy and fit after your your NFL career. Uh, you know, but you took that adversity of not being drafted in the first round uh, and falling to the third round and made the most of your opportunity. I mean, look at here. You were the NFL Rookie of the Year and also a two-time NFL Pro Bowl selection. Uh, and you're in the New Orleans Saints Hall of Fame. I mean, you talk about uh, making lemonade out of a lemon, uh, a so-called lemon. 
<laughs> I mean, that's, that's the way to do it. And this is what this show is all about, just showing people that we can overcome any adversity in life and make the best out of it if we're willing to do so and put the work into it. And that's, that's what you epitomize so much to me. Well, I appreciate that, James. And my entire life, I was, I tell people I was raised, uh, you know, in a small farming community in Saskatchewan, Canada. And my dream mm-hmm. was to be an NFL football player. And I was, I've always been the underdog, no matter what I've done in my entire life. When I was uh, in Saskatchewan growing up, and I said, you know, my dream is to be an NFL football player. You know, the entire country practically said, don't go to the United States because you get lost in the crowd and, you know, mm-hmm. uh, it's not worth your time. And I was, I was a prolific track athlete in high school, one of the top in the world in the indoor sprints. And I ran track my first my friend year at WSU under John Chaplin. But the perennial yeah. underdog, and that, that has always fueled me either in terms of what people have, have said or else my own self in terms of, you know, losing focus in life. And I've had some instances of that with uh, injuring myself my sophomore year and then coming back and saying, you know, I need to recommit my, my focus on being the best. And, and sometimes that's a good reminder in life for me. So, you know, I like that. I actually like being uh, having that label as an underdog and, like you said, making – lemonade out of lemons to me that's what life is all about going through adversity and coming out the other end uh with some success regardless if you win or not it's going to be success absolutely and then that's such a great message to all the folks who are listening to this show especially our young people that don't have a lot of life experience yet uh that soon as they run into adversity it's not over. They have to keep plugging away and get on top of that situation. And for all of us going through this pandemic the last couple of years, this is an adverse situation for everyone. But we'll come out on the other end of this in a much, much better position with the proper mindset and the willingness to keep on hanging in there and never, never, ever giving up. Uh, you know, you said you, you mentioned you came from Saskatchewan, Canada. Uh and then going to Pullman, Washington, which is kind of a similar rural town area, small towns and college town, but then down to New Orleans. I mean, what a cultural <laughs> difference, a cultural shift. <laughs> Talk about some of those uh, cultural differences you ran into in New Orleans and how you used to that. Yeah, well, it was amazing. I went from Pullman, from North Battleford, Saskatchewan, population 13,000 and still now today probably 14,000, to Pullman, Washington, 38,000, and then to New Orleans. And my first training camp was in Hammond, Louisiana, which is in southeastern Louisiana. So first it was the weather. It was 95 degrees, probably 90% humidity. And back when I played, it was six weeks of training camp, full pads the first couple of weeks. You're hitting, I mean, not what what it is today where – your, you know, shoulders and pads after maybe three or four days and your training camp is, is like three weeks. So it was very rigorous. And we had a, a new coaching staff. Jim Mora came from the USFL, brought his coaching mm-hmm. staff, and he had a, a, a military approach to things, very disciplined. He was, he was brought there to, to, to change things over and go from, the, you know, the ain'ts to the, a winning, a winning uh, tradition. So a lot of a lot of uh, weeding out of things, trying to be hard and and you know intense and 
is one of the hardest experiences I've ever had in my entire life. On the mm. cultural side, obviously it was different being from the Northwest, going to the Southeast. You know, there, there, you, you know, you can see some of the history down in Louisiana. But I have a really good story to tell you about that. There was a player. I'm not going to name a name, but a player came up to me maybe about a week into the training camp, and he says, "says son, he says, you got to decide, are you white or black? And I go like, oh. I was kind of affronted by that. I said, white or black? What are you talking about? He says, yes, down here, you know, the black players, some of the black players hang out together, some of the white players hang out together, and you got to decide. You're hanging out with everybody. I said, well, that's just how I am. You know, I'm, I'm learning the plays. I want to get to know people. I want people to like me. I want to, you know, make a difference on this football team. So, in a sense, it was kind of like a little bullying. And, and so every week this player would come up to me and say, you got to decide, man, what's, you know, and, and what you're doing and who you are and where you're on this team. Well, we get to the week 15, and uh, the player, you know, is still doing this sort of thing, and we have our little huddle after Thursday practice, and Jim Morris has called the players together and says, hey, we've got some announcements we have some players that have been recognized for their play this year. And Sam Mills and Ricky Jackson and Vaughn Johnson, who are prolific linebackers. In fact, Sam Mills has been inducted into this year's uh, NFL Hall of Fame and have been recognized and uh, named to the Pro Bowl. And Ruben Mays, Rookie of the Year and All-Pro. And everyone got – we have a little, a little you know, hand clapping, and, and then we broke up. And so I saw this player that had been talking to me about, you know, uh, the culture and choosing and all this sort of thing. And I had an epiphany. So I ran up to this player and I tapped him on the shoulder. I said, you know, I know how, who I am now. I'm all pro. And I'll never forget that. He says, yes, you are. He said, I will never bother you ever again. So <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was really good. You know, I just, it just kind of came to me, but that's how I always approached it. You know, like, I don't really care. Uh, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And, uh, you know, let my play on the field just talk for itself. Yeah. Oh, that's a wonderful story, you know. And I think you and I have a lot of similarities in that area. Being able to just kind of infiltrate into any cultural setting, any ethnic setting, any place that we are, uh, you know, we don't we don't let those uh, you know, barriers, so-called or imagined barriers, stop us. Uh, it's just we just have to keep on moving ahead and doing the things we need to do in order to not only be successful individually, but to make our teams, you know, you're working with a great team now over at Pullman regional hospital and to make that team better. Uh, tell us some of the work you do at the Pullman regional hospital and um, to what extent that is and how long have you been there now? Yes, I've been really fortunate. I've transitioned out of the NFL and have been working in uh, philanthropy leadership for 27 years in a higher ed level uh, and then uh, the last second half of my career in, in healthcare, and 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 going into my 10th year at Pullman Regional Hospital I'm the chief development and external relations officer so I'm responsible for all of the philanthropy uh, mm-hmm. and also the external relations oversee all of the communications and marketing for the hospital that was called the clinic networks and the foundation and I'm so fortunate because uh, I'm also on the admin administration team. So I, I get to help make decisions for the entire system, health care system in Pullman, as well as 
connect uh, through grants, uh, major gifts, annual giving, and then also the marketing side of things to help position the hospital and its brand uh, from a regional point of view. So it's uh, it's been really uh, a, a great experience even through COVID-19. We've been the epicenter because it's been a healthcare crisis uh, for folks who get COVID-19 and having to ensure that we have the you know intensive care beds as well as the protective uh, uh, uniforms and masks for our staff, also staffing issues. And we've gone through different phases of that from the beginning of COVID in February of 2020 to now, 2022. And our organization has been very strong culturally. We've always been a culture of engaging our employees. So we've actually come out very strong and very resilient and have actually uh, been able to have a growth mindset going forward uh, in terms of our plans. And I've, I've had a chance to be a part of that. The, the, the big takeaway for me has been my team and how we've worked together, uh, coming in every day, trying to figure out solutions and pathways for how we can engage and educate donors as well as how can we can support and, and steward and have events and pivoting and we can have an event we have to cancel. So I think this like my professional football career and my college career, you know, you have these adversities and you, you get people together and you get the best idea and then you, you execute on it and you continue to do that and you get, this, you know, grit. And, and that's why uh, I feel very fortunate to be in this role uh, in a healthcare system and now hopefully coming out of, of COVID-19 mm-hmm. and, and the next phase of whatever that looks like. Wow, and and that's providing that visionary leadership that we talk about great leaders have. You're part of that leadership team that really makes that happen over there, and that is just a wonderful uh, wonderful part uh, to be of, and so really congratulate you on the great work. I had an opportunity to work with you in the Pullman Regional Hospital a couple of years ago in regards to uh, helping to develop uh, athletic trainers for the local mm-hmm. high schools around Pullman, yes. And uh, I was in the physical therapy world for years and years. Having athletic trainers at the athletic events for high school kids is so important. And I'm I'm so glad you guys are taking the lead on that and really making a big difference in that area. Yeah, we were grateful, uh, James, for you being our keynote speaker at, at our premier event last year. And we raised the most money we've ever raised uh, for the program because of the uh, of you being a part of that and also the words that you shared. Uh, yeah, the, the hospital has a unique program where we work with local ho- high schools. Three of them are rural, and they don't have consistent uh, uh, athletic trainers. And so what we do is we, we hire the trainers, and then we place them at the schools, and those trainers provide uh, coverage for all the sports as well as referrals for the what's called the Orthopedic Center of Excellence. So we have orthopedic surgeons that are on call, for whatever happens. And, you know, at high schools, when a kid goes down, typically the head football coach or somebody that's not qualified will try to assess an injury. Well, we have certified athletic trainers that are there to assess. And then they're only the, our, our orthopedic surgeons are, are only a phone call away and come into the hospital, get an x-ray. Uh, it's been a hugely successful program. And now we're going into our, our sixth year and we have all of the data that, that, that says, this program is making a difference 
not only in Pullman High School, but the, the three rural high schools in terms of uh, getting kids back on the field, keeping them safe. And that's really mm-hmm. why I'm so excited to be a part of it. Well, yeah, what, what, what a difference that's going to make, uh, not only in the quality of the sports programs at these various high schools, and I know you're hoping to grow it and expand it even further, but also in the mm-hmm. lives of these kids who are getting good quality medical professional help when they need it on the field at that time. Uh, let's spend our last couple of few minutes talking about Pac-12 basketball, uh, Pac-12 football. Uh, there's a fellow named Arnie from Mesa, Arizona. He's calling in with a question that says, what's wrong with the Pac-12? Will it ever be on par with the SEC in football? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. And, you know, I when I played in my freshman and sophomore year, we played Tennessee, and I remember playing Ohio State twice in my first wow. two years. And also uh, we played Michigan at, at their place. And we lost all the games. We're actually there quite close. But that's what I feel the Pac-12 needs to do. They need to compete, and they need to see how they really are. And that's the only way you're going to get better is to compete, and, and you're going to win some of those games eventually. And that's how you deal with, you know, moving up you can only move up if you compete against the best. And you'll see that with Gonzaga. You know, they compete against, the, you know, Duke and these other teams that are number one, and they lose some. But it's that experience. And we're not going to get that experience unless we, we, we play at that level and get those games scheduled. So that's how I would do it if I were the commissioner for, you know, a day. Uh, and, of course, these things are scheduled out years in advance, but you've got to begin the process, and you've got to say, if we want to be at that level, we've got to compete at that level. We're going to have to play these games. Yeah, and I see that also. I mean, um, there's there's usually two or three Pac-12 teams that play a high-caliber team in another Big Five conference somewhere else, uh, and that's fine, but we need to get all 12 of the Pac-12 teams to really start engaging in this inter-conference uh, because that gives them the experience. It gives them the confidence. Even if they come in a, a close second, uh, it builds their confidence, builds their program with national recognition even, and really helps um, things to move along in that area. So that, that's really great. Um, and then for the upcoming Washington State university football team this year we've got a new coach on board uh what do you foresee and uh and and what are the prospects what do you think yeah i think uh, there's a lot of opportunities i I think uh, coach dickard is a a good a good pick uh given all the circumstances and the scenarios that went on last year Uh, a lot of unknowns i got a new quarterback it's untested a lot of kids graduated and so I think it's going to be, a, again, a, a great opportunity to, to understand which players will make a difference early in the season and develop. Uh, it's going to be, a, I think, a, a great um, test for the coaches to kind of build as you go through the 2022 season as they learn about these players. And, and there may be a freshman that, you know, is able to start uh, there will be some seniors. I, I just think it's going to be a great uh, opportunity for the coaching staff to, to, to test their ability to assess and pivot uh, as they get into the Pac, you know, Pac-12 play. And a lot of unknowns, and, but that's not unusual for WSU. Historically, 
you know, first string has always been strong. It's the second team because the difficulty to recruit kids to Pullman. And, but we always seem to, to figure out a way to win. And I, and I don't think Cooper football is going to be any different. I think we're going to probably be in the top half uh, of the Pac-12 this year. Uh, but it's going to take uh, a, a lot of work. That's a great, great assessment. Uh, and to wrap up our show next minute or so, if you had to do it all over again, would you do it very similar the same way? Or are there some differences, maybe another school you might have went to from Canada, another NFL team you could have played for, anything different? Or are you totally happy and content with your body of work you put out so far? I am so excited. I have no regrets. Probably the best decision I ever made was to meet my, my girlfriend, Marie Fredericks, and we got married my second year in the pros, and we've been married for 34 years. And, and mm. uh, so at the end of the day, you know, uh, wherever I play, but that's, that's the thing that's lasted the longest. <laughs> and, but uh, WSU, Pullman, we live in Pullman, and uh, I absolutely love it. Uh, I feel proud to be a Cougar. Uh, I feel proud for all the folks, Jim Walden, um, John Chaplin, the track coach, all, these, all these, uh, these, these men that were, I call, links in the chain of my life, and then going into the NFL, coaches that really helped me along. So I have no regrets. That is fantastic, yes. I love Pullman, too, and WSU, and a lot of our folks from Cougar Nation are listening today. So this has been a fantastic talk with you, Ruben, and uh, – I wish you all the best. I'll be out there to Pullman before the school year is up, and I'll get a chance to catch up with you then in person. Thank you so much for coming on board with us today. Well, thanks for the privilege, James. It's so good to hear your voice. And, I, and me, I can't wait to connect up with you when you're back in Pullman. And, and go Cougs. <laughs> all right. Go Cougs. You, you heard it here. Go Cougs. Thanks so much. Have a great day, everybody. James Donaldson standing above the crowd. Bye.